So every year, now this is the third year I've done Sermon Madness with a congregation, and every year I will submit a topic. And I pick one for two reasons. One is, it's like, well, if I'm going to have to preach, I at least should put a horse in the race, right? Uh, but the other thing is, I'm often picking something, I'm like, I wonder if I've got the pulse of the congregation. Now, I, every year that I've done this, I pick one that's a little harder, right? I sort of stretch it out. I'm like, are people going to be okay with this? One year, it was, I think, I think the one I did last year was talking about economics and God and economics. I'm like, surely people won't pick this. This feels too controversial. Y'all picked it, preached it. Christianity and patriotism. Now, I was doubling down. I thought, oh, no one's going to want this. It was like the second highest vote getter in in the voting. So what this has taught me is that I should just butt out of the voting for my own benefit. But here we are. This is the, the big one. Then next week is, I think, just as important, although probably less controversial, which is showing grace and mercy to others. And that concludes the four-week series on Sermon Madness, and then we'll head to the lectionary. But here we are. And you notice that this passage that we're reflecting on today, Luke 20, kind of hinges on this one moment where Jesus sees right through them. Right there is like Jesus gets what's going on right from the outset. We find ourselves with Jesus here in the temple through a series of discourses, and the scribes and the chief priests are all around in the temple, and they're getting curious. But instead of coming to Jesus directly and engaging him directly, they send what the, what the Greek literally, and it's a rare term in the New Testament, spies. And it's literally how it is. Like the chief priests were like, go figure out what's going on with this Jesus guy. And their job, the spies' job, was, in, was an intention of trying to ensnare Jesus so that he could no longer be considered a threat. And what they ask him feels a little out of left field, doesn't it? Like, if you're trying to, like, pin Jesus in some sort of debate, a discussion on whether one should pay taxes doesn't quite feel like the ringer. But the question still stands. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to the emperor or not? And if we massage this a little bit, if we look at the Greek and we translate it, we learn that it's a little less about legality and it's more about the conscience and it's less about taxes and more about tribute. So maybe another way to think about it in the end would be, are we obligated to pay the levies of a tribute against the power that is in our area? And Jesus, being Jesus, threads the needle in his response, inviting the spies to consider that there are things that should be returned to the state and things that should be left to God. And there's the end of the conversation. Stunned silence. And when we discuss Christianity and patriotism in 2022, I actually believe that our situation looks pretty similar. On one side, off in the distance, there are people who share some similar perspectives to us, but clearly have valued something greater than the words Jesus Christ is speaking. Sometimes the person that's hardest to get along with is the person who agrees with you 60% of the way, because you're almost convinced they'll agree with you the rest of the way, and then they don't. 
Seems to be the situation that we're under in this. And I think that people of faith then have three choices in how they respond. The first is we can either just be part of the chiefs and scribes on the side and just say, I'm not going to deal with the question. We can fall into a crafty trap or, and what I would recommend, we can find the answer that causes people to fall silent. And so that's what I'm hoping will unfold a little bit today. I'll be honest with you, this was a challenge to me because I realize and I value that we all come from different places. We all have different perspectives. And even the idea of patriotism might rattle our bones a little bit in polite company. So, we've been here together for a couple years, right? Trust me a little bit, let's walk this together. The silencing response that Jesus offers the spies to what should be offered to the state is primarily about knowing what should be offered to the state and what should be offered to God. Right? If you know your denarius should go to Caesar, then it starts to define what should go where. This seems like a good rule of thumb for any of us who value being Christians, that we identify primarily as Christians. While we believe that God certainly created everything, and that we are called to be stewards, which means we care about all the institutions around us, there are institutions in this world that are, of human, that are human in means and also human in ends. And so we might approach them a little different than things within the realm of the church. In our country in particular, there actually is Despite what I've seen on the news lately, there actually is a defined separation of church and state. The government will not preference one religion over the other. That's just kind of, that has been going on for over 200 years, and it seems to have worked generally well for us. So there are things that are the states, and there are things that are the churches. But the reality of patriotism is it begins to complicate how to define which one is which. I think most helpful for us this morning is a definition of patriotism by Igor Primorats, a philosophy professor that's at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem who wrote a book all about patriotism. And he defines it as this, is that patriotism must involve a special concern for one's country and compatriots. Patriotism is not the same as love of and concern for humanity. A patriot loves her country more than any other and is more concerned for the interests of her country and compatriots than for the interests of other countries and their inhabitants. This might start to help us understand a little bit why talking about patriotism and Christianity might seem a little controversial. From the outset, if you apply this definition and you think it's valuable, patriotism right from the beginning might begin to feel a little like a competition. It ends up it's not enough to perform one's civic duties faithfully, show up and vote, be a good neighbor to the people next to you. Instead, it starts to become an embodied performance. We identify as patriots, and it is our job, if we are the most patriotic, we have got to be better than the person next to us. And over time, 
to continue to be the best and most patriotic, well, we might start to raise the ante a little bit more. And after time, what is God's and what is the state's, what is Caesar's, starts to get a little bit more complicated. I will tell you that the road to pastoral burnout is littered with young, idealistic, energetic pastors who believe that the best hill they should die on is to remove the American flag from the sanctuary. Without a doubt, there is some respected elder of the church who will lambaste that pastor. Who do they think they are taking the American flag out of the sanctuary? Okay, we don't need to do that. They're still here, haven't gone anywhere. Then it may be selective disregard for passages in the New and Old Testament. If we believe our nation is better than others, then it gets a little harder to welcome the stranger and the alien into our midst with the Old Testament demands that the people do. Because why would we give them any help? They're not as good as us. So now we offer a little bit more of what's God's to Caesar. It may be feeling, for instance, that on patriotic holidays, we need to make sure that we hit the right hymns. But, you know, did you notice? I mean, I love my country, tis of thee. But listen to the second verse again, just, just out loud. We just speak it. My native country, the land of the noble, free thy name I love. I love thy rocks and hills, thy woods and templed hills. My heart with rapture thrills like that above. Who are we worshiping in that verse, friends? I mean, it's beautiful, and it's striking in its language. Sounds like we're worshiping the nation than God. And so maybe we start to push. And I wonder if any of you noticed that when we were singing it. Maybe, maybe not. It's fine if you didn't. But maybe we push a little bit more of the ante up to render unto Caesar what is God's. Perhaps over time, then, we raise the ante high enough that we end up going all in and offer everything that is God's to Caesar. And what might that look like? Well, I'm going to offer two things. One may be that the entire church turns into a patriotic image, as some churches have. I mean, if you Google patriot churches, there is a whole movement of churches that first talk about uh, political jeremiads, and they're more interested in shilling for political candidates. Now listen, that's on both sides. I've seen, I've seen churches that are more progressive shill for political candidates, but I will tell you it's something special when you see a church building with its roof painted in an American flag. What are we worshiping at that point, friends? Or ironically, I would argue that if we end up offering everything that is God's to Caesar, it actually then turns into a push for Christian nationalism. The idea that a country should be founded solely on Christian values without a separation of church and state. So maybe one way is we actually maintain the church, but now it's the church of patriotism. Or we think that by surrendering everything to Caesar, 
re-reform it into God's image. In either case, though, we should be a little cautious because when we've ceded all that is God's to Caesar, then we've submitted what should be divinely cared for over into human hands and human brokenness. And it begins to resemble what I mentioned to the kids today. It's as though our task is just to hang out with the cool kid, to be in the gang with the cool kid, even if they're bullies, because the consequences may be to be out of the group altogether. So it seems to me that we might want to carry a balance in us between what is God's and what is Caesar's, which might beg the question for us, what is God's? In our passage in Luke, when Jesus asks for the denarius, he infers that what is the state's should freely return to the state. And this is something that I think most of us generally should agree with. Probably should pay our taxes even if we go kicking and screaming along the way. Probably going to do it. Generally should respect the laws of the state. It's not a bad thing to do. Probably should get your driver's license. Probably it's a good idea to vote. Like, please vote this week. We've got special election. Like, every church on this Sunday between a special and general election ought to encourage you to go vote because it's our civic responsibility. Like, go. Do it. Go care who you vote for. But it would be nice if this church had a 100% voting record if I knew. We engage thoughtfully with the nation and culture where we live. If we've said we're going to be this church that is looking outwards, then we should look at what's outwards and we should say, I wonder what that's all about. It's why we ask these questions about controversial topics because the world is curious about them and we are not caught in some sort of shell just hoping that things won't come to us because they will. So there are things that we offer back. But what are we, dear friends? What are we? Are we the kid trying to be in the cool group? We're willing to pony up whatever it takes to be part of the cool group. What is our heart? What is our mind? What is our soul? And what is our being? The things that we are called to love God with, with every part of all of those things. The things that are God breathed in us. Those would be the things that I'd recommend that we would offer to God and not to Caesar. By extension, the places where we offer our hearts, minds, souls, and beings are what is God's and what, not, and what is not Caesar's. It's why, for instance, that every year since I've been here, we mark Memorial Day at the beginning of our time together. But once the prelude starts, we worship together. That does not mean that we don't care about those who have been veterans, but at some point we have to acknowledge that 
It cannot be all about that single thing on that Sunday. We were worshiping in this country before Memorial Day existed. We are worshiping as Christians in other countries where there is no Memorial Day. And if, God forbid, this country is no more and Memorial Day goes away, we will still worship. Friends, by offering ourselves to God, it invites us to create different lenses as we think about what we would offer the state. It means our primary read of the world is through Scripture. At times, it may necessitate critique of the state. Our affirmation of faith today comes from the Barman Declaration. And as you read in the liner notes, you know that it was a response to Nazi Germany at the time. Because there was a sect of the German church that thought everything that the Nazi, the Nazi German Republic was doing was completely fine, and somebody stood up and said no. It is easy to offer oneself up fully to Caesar, but it loses the opportunity for us to actually sit and argue that there might be better ways to live in the world. This, my friends, is the prophet's burden, for instance. It's not that the prophets didn't love Israel or Judah, but they understood it did not adhere to what God had commanded them to do. It reminds us, too, that our first commitment is to God and not to any country. In fact, the scope of our community, dear brothers and sisters, is far broader and deeper than just one country. Otherwise, why do we do World Communion Sunday? Right? I mean... If, if we were just, we would just call America Communion Sunday and be done with it, right? But it's World Communion Sunday because we recognize that there are people all over the world who will gather at this table that we cannot claim, but it's Christ's table. Our tradition has sustained beyond many governments and empires. But finally, and I think most importantly, it shows us a world that is richer than the one defined by giving everything we have to Caesar. Think of the Lord's Prayer. We say this every Sunday together. Father, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's a world I'd like to live in. All my needs are supplied. We forgive others. We are forgiven. Man, that sounds good, but, but I have not seen that on CNN, Fox News, or MSNBC anytime recently. There's a better world out there that we can invite ourselves to live into. I mentioned the communion table. Remember, there's a lot of Sundays when we have communion that I say people will gather from north and south and east and west and eat at this table. I'm not talking about the Midwest. It's the whole world. It's beyond even just distance, but time. All across everything we understand, this table matters. Even our offering is different, you know? Would you put your offering in? Do you know who's the most important offering is there? All of yours. 
We don't grade your offering by how much or what proportion. That sounds different than what is Caesar's to me. In the end, dear friends, I wonder if that might be what is so appealing to offer so much to the state in, pres- in, in Presbyterianism, <laughs> in patriotism, or let's be honest, any ism that we want to hold on to. Because I think once again about the spies here. They were in the employ of the priests and the scribes who didn't actually want to engage with Jesus and his teaching, so they sent others to do their bidding. Hey, you guys, you know, we're really representing something really important. Why don't you go out and go do the work? I wonder if those spies thought they had finally found a purpose. Did they feel good because they were helping the chief priests and the scribes? They finally feel like they were going to get one on the enemy there, Jesus. I wonder if they felt like the opportunity to undermine Jesus and support an appeal to their religious and political leaders might actually make them feel like they're doing something special. And Jesus sees right through them. But if you notice, he doesn't shame them. He doesn't tell them they're bad. Instead, he offers them another way of thinking, something deeper than apparently what was being offered to them because it made them stop in cold silence. And typically when we are stunned that much, it is a bit of cognitive dissonance for us. And certainly as the church has become more transactional, and more marketable, it has also become more imminent. We find ourselves less sure that there is something more than the here and now. So if all there is is this moment, then I better be entertained. And if there's nothing more than that entertainment, then I better make sure that I'm doing something significant now. Yet I truly believe that we long for something more in our hearts. We want something more than just here and now. I believe we want more often than we say to have an opportunity to offer all of ourselves to a God who is transcendent and beyond the circumstances of this moment. So we, like the spies, can find ourselves persuaded, however, by all manner of perceived transcendence, including patriotism. But friends, as Frederick Buechner reminds us, who passed away, sadly, a Presbyterian pastor this week, that every single ism will fail us. One simply has to look at the McCarthy trials. One simply has to look at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. One simply has to look at the war after September 11th. 
with the eyes of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to at least find our feelings complexified by the reality on the ground. But what truly could the world be like if we thought that thy kingdom come, thy will be done could actually happen? What if when I pour these waters of baptism and I remind you that you are loved and you are forgiven, what if you took it home with you? Right? What if when you ate from this table, when it's here, you're reminded that there are people throughout all time and space, including those folks that we would think of as enemies, that are gathering with us? What if we really believed that there was love and hope and grace and mercy? I think it would change us. I think it changed the world. Friends, the, the problem in the end is not about the patriotism. It's about believing there's something more here. That there's something worth giving over to God. And so, dear friends, let us begin today to consider in our hearts what we offer too much to Caesar. And let's offer what we can to God in community together. Thanks be to God.